Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. More than ever, our world is increasingly unchristian, and they need to see Jesus in us. And this is where the church has a powerful message of grace that needs to be heard. We live in a day when so many churches and so many Christians miss the point. It's not about programs and games and image. So many churches may look incredible from the outside, but the question has never been, how do we look? The question is, how does Christ look? How do we present Christ to our world? And this really applies, I think, of all times. This is as good a time as any to talk about this. People shouldn't look at First Church of Christ and see First Church of Christ. Um, We, it's the difference between a picture and a window. People shouldn't see, uh, you look at a picture, you look through a window. And the purpose of the church is to be a window to Jesus. We don't want people to see us. We don't want people to see the church. We want people to see Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, what, what, when I, do people look at us and say, what an, when people look at our church and they say, what an amazing church, First Church of Christ is, we run the risk of stealing the attention away from the one who deserves it. There is nothing special about us as a church, but what an amazing Lord we have. When we think that we are impressive, we will be tempted to rely on our own efforts. The truth is that nothing we do can earn God's love or his grace. That's why it's grace. It is freely given. And even Paul had to learn this. So today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're just going to look at a few verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll look at verse, we'll look at starting verse 7. Just, there's a lot packed in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 7. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly because my weaknesses, uh, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul talks about things to consider. And one of the things that he talks about is boasting. We should consider our boasts. Now, 
The Corinthian books are a little tricky to get through. 2 Corinthians, a little trickier than 1 Corinthians, and the end of the book even more so. Uh, chapter 12 is a tough chapter. For, we keep in mind a few caveats. We're reading someone else's mail. Yes, it's for us. It's in the Bible. We're supposed to read it. God wants us to read it. But we take into context that we are reading someone else's mail. And part of that context is we don't get the whole context. We weren't there 2,000 years ago. We don't know what that church was like. I, I do think there were some weird things going on. Because when you add First and Second Corinthians together, even excluding the fact that I think that there are a couple of other letters that we don't have to the Corinthian churches, First and Second Corinthians are longer than any one of the Gospels. There's more written to the Corinthian church than any other church in the New Testament or any other book when you, when you put those two together. Um, and, and so that context, I, there were some things going on. One of the things we, go, we know that was going on was that there were, um, there were teachers that were setting themselves up as rivals to Paul, and they were calling, and, and Paul uses this term. This is not the comic book fan saying this. Super apostles. That's what they were calling themselves. Um, so there were some problems in that, in that church. Uh, and they were teaching against what Paul had been teaching them. And this puts Paul in a tough position because he's Paul. His credentials are fantastic. God, Jesus went out of his way to have a one-on-one conversation with him after Jesus' death on the road to Damascus. Um, if, if anybody deserves the title super apostle, we might argue that it would be Paul. Um, but, but to say that then sounds like boasting. And, that's the, and, and, and Paul's a humble man. And, and, and Christ, Christ gave us an example of humility. Paul wants to set a Christ-like example of humility. How do you do that and say, and don't listen to those guys, listen to me, which is what God wanted. You see the, the tough situation that this, this put him in. He can't ignore that he is to be a pastor and a shepherd to this church so he begins, he begins chapter 12 talking about a man who went to third heaven. Now, there's already a lot packed in here. Look, my understanding of ancient culture and when we talk about what's the a, what's a third heaven, well, to the ancients who didn't understand the, the, the intricacies of the universe the way that we do, the first heaven is where the birds fly, the second heaven is where the planets wander around, and then there's where God lives. And that's my understanding uh, of multiple, multiple sources. That's just separating the three things that are above us. Um, birds and clouds, planets, stars, God. Uh, and so Paul talks about this man who went to the third heaven. A lot of scholars think that Paul is talking about himself. That at some point God gave him a vision of heaven itself, of God and his throne. We know that God gave that vision to John, who wrote Revelation, quite a bit about heaven in, in Revelation. It, it, it may very well be that John, or that, that Paul is talking about himself here. Um, but it doesn't even matter, regardless whether or not Paul talks about himself in the first bit of the chapter or, or someone like John who had a similar vision. Paul is a spiritual heavyweight, he wrote half the books of the New Testament. He, he is the ultimate missionary. He, he talked 
with Christ after the death of our Savior Jesus. He survived multiple dungeons and beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and getting bit by poisonous snakes. Uh, he, he, he corrected Peter, spokesman of the apostles. When Peter was in the wrong, Paul had, was right in speaking out against Peter when Peter was in the wrong because everybody's human, even the apostles. Peter refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. Peter puts Paul's letters in the same category that he puts the Old Testament, the Word of God. If anyone is a super apostle who has the right to boast of their credentials in the church, it would be Paul, and he doesn't. And he sets us an example. And so we look to ourselves and we say, maybe some of us have impressive credentials. I went to Bible college and I got a master's degree and I'm a third generation preacher. And maybe that, may, it would be very easy to look at that and say, look, at that, that's impressive. I don't want people to look at me. And I, and, and I have to constantly remind myself, because it doesn't come easy, and to fight against the human instinct to make it about us. Maybe our family's been, maybe your family's been part of the church for generation after generation, and that's easy to fall back on and say, look at what my father did and my grandfather did. And my gra-. or, or maybe you look at all the things that you've done in the church, and you say, man, I, I, I do so much for the church. They're lucky to have me. And, and let me be clear, we, we are in the sense that we're so glad that you're a part of the church, and, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled that you serve in the church, but it's still not about us, is it? And we've got to, and there's such an easy danger to fall into that it quits being about Christ and it starts being about us. It's so every one of us can fall into that. It's one of the easiest ways for Satan to get at us. But like Paul, we have to realize that every time we put the focus on us, we take it away from Jesus. Our goal is not to impress people. Our goal is to bring people to Jesus. We, we don't want to be pictures. We want to be windows. We don't want to boast in us. We want to keep the focus on the Lord. We don't want to, so, so Paul says, talking about himself, I, he, he says, let's consider our, our boasting. He also then talks about thorns. I want, to, I want to talk about thorns. Paul speaks about a thorn being given to him to keep him from being conceited. So let's clarify a few things. Not all, thorn, not, not all hardships are from God. You know, it's very easy to sometimes look at what's going wrong in our life. I've known some people that, that, that if something goes wrong, oh, God's telling me something. Maybe. Satan is the prince of this world, and sometimes Satan, who hates Christians, sometimes does bad things to us. And sometimes we're just our own worst enemy. And I always give the example, if you cheat on your taxes and the IRS comes after you, that's not God, that's not Satan, that was just you <laughs> being making a horrible decision. And so... We can't blame everything that goes wrong in our life on God. I'm gonna, I want to start with that. But not all thorns do come from God. Paul, uh, Paul talks about this one as uh, in a different light in that regard. We, we, know, we do know that all, God uses all things. He works all things to the good of those he loves and who are called according to his, his purpose. And I think we have to ask the question, not so much, why did God, when things go wrong, why did God do this to me? I think, I think maybe we can ask the question, why, why does God allow this to happen? It's not so much that God does something to you, 
But God allows things to happen to us. Whether or not he caused it, he didn't stop it, right? But Paul gives us an answer to this question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to us? Sometimes, sometimes bad things just simply happen, the price of living in a fallen world. But in this case, Paul sees this thorn, whatever that means, we'll talk on that in a second, as a way, as, as a tool that God is using to keep him humble. He wants it gone, but what? But we don't always. Even Paul doesn't get everything that he wants. We don't know what the thorn was. My my theory is that Paul was borderline blind. My my theory. We know that he got stoned by his enemies. We all know what that is: getting rocks thrown at him until they thought he was dead on multiple occasions. Um, they aim for the head, quick, you know, kills him. Concussions. He says at one point, look at what large letters I'm writing. You can tell that I wrote this, he says, in one of his letters, because you can tell how big the letters are. I think, that he, I, I think that he had trauma-induced cataracts. That's just my theory. I've heard other theories. Um, some say it's, it's a, thorns are a reference to his enemies. Linguistically, that holds up. Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Micah. These Old Testament books refer to enemies of God's people as thorns. And we know that Paul had enemies. So that, that, that could fit in this passage. And there's a third one that I've heard. And, and I say this, you're going to laugh, and it's not meant to laugh. Some think he's talking about his wife. Now hear, hear me before you chuckle. What I've been told, and I've, 2,000 years later, I don't know if this is true, that a good Pharisee would have been a married man. That that being a family man was an important thing to the Pharisees to set an example for their community. And while we read about Peter's family, we don't ever read anything about any family of Paul. Did he have a wife? What, what if he had a wife and she wasn't a believer? That would make life difficult. If you're desperately trying to win the world to Christ and your own wife doesn't believe that he's the Messiah, and so some people have, have legitimately wondered, maybe, maybe, maybe that reference is, is a reference to trouble in his home? I don't, we don't know. We don't know. It might not even be any of those three things. We don't know. Um, whatever his thorn was, the point is that Paul saw that this problem, this thorn, helped him grow spiritually. It kept him humble. It became easier for Paul to suffer harshness and arrogance from others, whether it was intentional or not. Paul could preach Christ crucified because he was reminded that he was a failure if he was left to his own devices. On his own, there was no success in Paul. His only success was as a tool of God's grace. And isn't that all of us? All of us are failures without the grace of Christ. Failures in what matters. It doesn't matter if you're the richest person in the U.S. Without Christ, you are a failure. The only thing that because everybody dies, and at death, we're all equal? Not quite, are we? At death, we separate into two categories, those who are saved and those who are not. And it's that grace of Christ that makes the difference, and it's the only thing that makes the difference at death. 
We should, therefore, consider our thorns in our own lives. And Paul says that we should then consider our focus. Why don't we get what we want? (laughs) Why does life not go the way? If we're following God, why doesn't he bless us and give us what we want? Because we're following him. We... Pamela and I have a dog named Taffy. Our previous dog was named Sadie. Some of you, we, we, when we moved to West Virginia, we still had, had Sadie, and, and some, of, some of you met her. And she, she was a wonderful dog, but a little self-focused. Um, every, first off, anybody that came over, she would grovel before them. And the minute that they started to pet her, she would roll over. It was all about her. She, she had to be, if you had people in the living room, she had to be the center of everybody's attention. And funnier than that, Pam could not go shopping without that dog freaking out when she came home with plastic bags. All bags were for her. They all clearly had treats, and they were all about her, and, and, and it never changed. It didn't matter the fact that not even one in ten bags had a treat for her. They were all for her, and, 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 and because to her, the whole world revolved around her Wonderful, wonderful, sweet dog, but man, she, she wanted to be the center of attention. And we can laugh about how childish that is in a dog, but man, so many people are like that, right? I, it's so easy for me to be like that. When we get to the point that what matters is our comfort, we're not any better than, than a dog or, 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 or an immature child. Even Paul did not get what he wanted. So what is the focus of our life? What should we be praying for? Let us pray as Paul did. And, 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 and in my Sunday school class today, when we went through prayer requests, and boy, doesn't our world have a lot to pray about, I appreciated that one of our kids said, let's pray for good weather today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're having a kids' event after church. Sure, we should. The little, God loves the little things and the big things. I love that. I don't like it when it's just the big events and it's Ukraine and, and, and crashing economies and, and, and viruses. And let's pray for the little things. Let's pray for good weather. Let's pray for safe travels. And let's, let's pray for the little things. Knowing that God doesn't owe us the perfect weather every day. One of our other kids, when I said, what's the best part of your summer? And we went around the room. One of the other guys said, the weather's been the best I've ever seen. That, I've never heard that from a, from, from a young person. Of all the best things, the weather. <laughs> uh, not video games, not toys, not, not, not basketball, not thing, the weather. Um, we're not always going to get the weather that we want, but it's not about us. And we're not always going to get what we pray for, the big things and the little things. Um, Paul doesn't get everything that he wants, but he accepts that God has a bigger plan. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, I don't want to go through this, but may your will be done. Do we pray? Do we pray God remove our difficulties? Or do we pray God show me your grace? Because... If, like Paul, his grace is seen in our difficulties, then I wonder if getting rid of all of our difficulties is really what's best for us. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. Wide roads are easy to handle. Small gates, narrow roads 
are harder to walk down. Full of thorns, cramped, dangerous, lonely. Do we really want to walk that road? Why are children born with birth defects? That's not fair. Why do earthquakes and floods kill so many innocent people? I think the bigger question is, is God going to be glorified in this? Because whether, whether we live a long, fulfilled life or whether we don't and we suffer and our life is short, we're all going to die one day. It's all temporary. What matters is what comes after that. And that's, why, that's where God's grace becomes essential and the thing that matters. This earth is temporary. God's grace is eternal. Our goal cannot be our comfort because that too shall pass. Our goal is to see the grace of Christ even at all costs. This is a tough teaching. This is a mature teaching. But when we mature in Christ, we recognize that his grace is more important than our comfort. His grace alone is what saves us, and those that do not see that, no matter how nice their life may be, are lost. God make the path easier or... God, prepare me and strengthen me on my difficult journey. Our plea must shift from self-focus to Christ-focus. God, in your grace, use me to glorify you. And so Paul, having considered boasts and thorns and, and our focus, reminds us that we must consider his grace, God's grace. In our weakness... The thorns and the problems of our life, they, God uses them to show us something important. We cannot be saved by our own efforts, but only by the grace of God. God's grace is why we have hope. Take away God's grace, we have no hope. It is his grace that covers our weakness. Not, we can't earn our way into heaven. It's his grace that saves us. But, but we have to be careful. Because grace isn't the only leg that we stand on. God's grace does save us. But Paul reminds us that because we have God's grace doesn't mean that we have an excuse to go on sinning, to do whatever we want to do. Within grace, there is still talk about what it means to obey God and to follow him and to please him. Uh, God's grace is not and never has been an excuse to get away with sin, with whatever we want to do. To go on sinning, that grace may abound more, that, that, that misses the point of what we're, called, what we're saved from and saved to. God loves us so deeply. And if, and if we love him in return, we want to please him. And we sometimes don't do the things that we would otherwise do because we know that God doesn't like that. And, we want, and because we love him, we want to please him. Our focus on grace is not what we can get away with, but in grace we focus on what has God actually saved us from. Despite our weakness, seen through our weakness, God's grace is sufficient for us. When hard times hit us, and, and they do, <laughs> everybody has a hard life at some point. Things may be going good for a bit, but hang on, it'll change. When the hard times hit us, will God's grace be seen through my life? Can we thank God and praise him in the tough times? Or, or, or are we fair weather that we, we, we love God when the going is good and we don't like him when the going is bad? 
Do we dare admit that we grow more in tough times? I think that that's how God wired us. That the tough times is when we are refined. That's, that's Peter's language. And, and so then do we pray for that? Not Do we pray for tough times? No, God, make me Christ-like. And, and, and knowing that that prayer means that sometimes I will be tested in the fires, and, and God, give me the strength to get through that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus says these words. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is, this is our goal. This is our call. This should describe us. I want, we need to be people of grace. Our world needs us to be people of grace. The lost need to know that they're lost and see that there is grace. That's the job of the church. Not, not to focus on us, but to show people that Jesus is the answer. People who want the grace of God in our world over our own comforts and wishes, that's what I want us to be. And that's the kind of people our world needs to see. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 348. Have you accepted the grace of our Lord Jesus? In him alone is salvation. That's not a popular message, but if it's true, and I believe that it is true, that in God alone, through Christ, is salvation then if that statement is true, then if you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, you are lost. And I would like to talk with you about what that would take to change. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.